We're starting a new series this month uh, for the next quarter, and it's going to focus on Because Love Gives. Everybody say with me, say, Because Love Gives. Because the whole year we are focusing on Because Love, the first three months we talk about uh, Because Love Builds, and now we move on to the next chapter, Because Love Gives. Whereas it is inbuilt in us to build something, to build a career, to build your life, to build your business, to, to, to build a family, to build your future. And that's natural in all of us. Giving is not so natural. Giving does not come so naturally. One day I was uh, getting out the lift to get back into my apartment. My little Zen Zen was uh, ahead of me and I was thinking why he was running uh, back home. Uh, he actually didn't go straight home. He went to the neighbor's house and then he said, Auntie, I want chocolate. I was shocked. I didn't know. Apparently it's been happening for a few months now. So, Auntie, I want chocolate. So, Auntie was uh, being a nice neighbor. Uh, she kindly obliged and she, wait, ah, wait. So she went to the kitchen and brought out chocolate. And I was waiting to see what my son will say because it would be impressive if I have trained him well that he will say, thank you, Auntie. So after he got the chocolate, he said to Auntie, Auntie, I got a cocoa at home. <laughs> so, oh, Auntie said, yeah, sorry, I forgot. So Auntie gave him the second piece of chocolate. Uh, I'm not sure if that's considered generous because it was at the expense of the neighbor's supply of chocolate. So whenever my neighbor's kid come over now, I got to cook him a meal and give him a massage because my son has been taking chocolate from my neighbor's house. Uh, but it's very interesting. If you all have children, young kids, you realize that there is a stage in their lives whereby they, they seem to be quite generous. They seem to be giving their stuff away uh, because they don't have that sense of ownership yet. Uh, I, I remember Aiton when he was younger, he will bring his toys and he will give to people and I will have uh, our leaders and our members texting me and say, Pastor, I'm very sorry, your son's toy is in my house. I say, well, what can I say? My son has already given it to you, so I can't ask it back, isn't it? Uh, but but Zenzen is interesting. Whenever he eats chocolate or candy, the last piece, he will never eat it. He will say, this is Coco's one. And, uh, and, 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 that's, and that's him. Uh, so I cannot help remembering a story that I heard many, many years ago that there was a child going to church. And uh, as he was walking to church, because the parents gave him two coins, so the parents told him, son, two coins here. One is for you to bring to church to give offering to God. The other coin is for you to buy candy after the service. So the child was very happy uh, walking with the two coins in his hand. As he was crossing the bridge, one coin dropped into the river. And the child says, Oh no, I'm so sorry God, that one is yours. <laughs> Giving is only possible if we have love. Lust takes, but love gives. Whenever people say, if you love me, you will do this for me, that's not love. If you love me, then you will do this much. You will give me this. If uh, college students uh, be mindful of this, there will be times that people will come to you and say, if you love me, then you'll sleep with me. That's not love. That is lust. Love always seeks to give. 
I want to take this opportunity also uh, address this thing for marriage. You, you enter into a marriage relationship because there's something in your life that you want to give to the person whom you love. If two persons enter into a relationship with the intention to give to each other because we have something in us to give away, then I can assure you that relationship, that marriage will be fine and will be happy. But if two persons enter into a relationship both wanting to take, I marry you so that you can do the laundry. I marry you so that you can cook for me. I marry you so that you can buy me stuff. I marry you so that you can provide me with a home. If two persons enter into a marriage or a relationship, both wanting to take, you will find both of them constantly fighting and arguing because that is not what relationship is all about. Last takes, but love gives. So as a church, we want to learn how we can be a giving community. I just, I just feel uh, Eunice's report this morning about how we provide food, a simple thing as breakfast, will help people when they go to school every morning. That's something that they will look forward to. We want to be way more than that as a community, as a giving community, as a generous community, and a community with a big heart that extends our life, ourselves, liberally. And in fact, that's one of the values of our church, to have a big heart. Everybody say, have a big heart. And extend ourselves liberally, that we learn to think others. We learn to consider others ahead of ourselves. But because giving is such an unnatural thing to all of us, how can we then, as a community of believers develop a giving heart. Who is our point of reference? Who do we model after? Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 on the screen, the Bible says, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God did not just preach love. God did not just talk about love. He demonstrated that love for us. And the Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means there was every possibility, there is every potential that the love that God shown us or showered us would not be reciprocated. That means God already loved you long before you know Jesus, long before you know Christ. But God in His love is willing to demonstrate love for us, that love for us, that even when you cannot respond to Him, He will still show us love. Because of love, God gave us His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. The ultimate expression of love, the highest expression of giving. Jesus is the ultimate expression of love the ultimate expression of giving. So when God gave us Jesus, He did not give us His second best. He did not send one of the legions of the angels and say, angel, you go and save them. No, God gave us Himself in the form of the Son. John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His own one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So God says, 
It's not just demonstrating His love for us. The Bible says He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him now, the Son that has given us, that when we believe, we will have eternal life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 to 12. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So God says, hey, this is my testimony. This is my story that I have given you eternal life and this life is found in His Son. If you have the Son of God, Jesus, you will have life. If you don't have the Son of God, you will not have life. And then now you're wondering, Pastor, as a church, we've been around for so long. Some of us, we've been a Christian for so long. All these are basic. All these are things that we know and why do we need to take the trouble? A whole Sunday service addressing this. Because this morning, I want to share with you that many of us, how many of you have given your life to Jesus at some point? One, two, three, raise your hand. Doesn't matter how long. How many of you, you have given your heart to Jesus, right? But how many of us really know that the meaning of eternal life is what exactly? We know that we believe in Jesus with eternal life, but do we really know what this eternal life is all about? For the longest time, most believers equate eternal life with a life that takes place after death and that it lasts forever. And uh, it's been something that we've heard, we've been taught that eternal life starts after you die and then you will live forever with God for all eternity. Well, I want to tell you this morning, it is partly correct. The part that is correct is that it lasts forever, it does last forever. The part where it is not accurate is the part that it only begins after death. So I want you to get ready as we learn the scripture this morning. Are you guys okay? All right. The New Testament, the Greek word most often translated as eternal is the word ionios. All right? Ionios. It means unending, but also focuses on the quality or the characteristics of that which is age-long and eternal. So what the Bible is trying to tell us, that eternal life or eternity is not just length, but it's also quality. Combined with the Greek word zoe for life, which indicates not only biological existence, but a fullness or genuineness of life. Eternal life therefore includes both the ideas of quality and quantity of life that is unending. It is both quality and quantity of life that is unending. In fact, in many ways, eternal life really has nothing to do with time as it can be experienced apart from time as well as within time. So eternal life is not just talking about length. How many of us want to live a long, miserable life? <clears throat> How many of us want to live a long, torturous life? Nobody wants to live a long, torturous life. We want a life that is long, 
and it is full of meaning and it is full of purpose. And eternal life is the understanding that the life that God is going to give us and the life that we will have as a result of having Jesus Christ in our lives, it is a life that is not just long in quantity, but it is also filled with quality. It is the fullness and the genuineness of life that God wants to have let us experience even right now. John chapter 5 and verse 24, it says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my voice and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. The Bible says, I tell you the truth, that whoever hears and already believes in Jesus Christ, you already have eternal life. You have crossed from life, from death to life. Are you with me this morning? Every one of us, eternal life is already in your present possession. You don't have to wait until you die for you to enjoy your life with God. You don't wait until you die for you to encounter God in all eternity and you can encounter God even right now. John chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We, we, we hear this all the time. We hear John 10, 10. We quote John 10, 10 that I have come that you may have life have, have it, and have it to the full. But what does it mean to have life in God to the full? What is a life in God? Does that mean, oh, now that I have Jesus in my life, so I get to come to church and that's life in full. I get to serve God, that's life in full. What does a life to the fullest mean according to the scripture? What is the fullness of life? Because our inability to understand the full extent of the fullness of life that God has intended for us has caused many believers to live an average, mediocre Christian life. That has caused us to, you know what? I'm a Christian now, I better go to church. Otherwise, God will punish me. Oh, I'm a Christian now, what can I do? I got to give my offering to God. I got to do this, I got to do that. Otherwise, God will be upset with me. We, we bring with us the cultural context of our local or our inherited belief system, thinking that we ought to do something in order for God to love us in return. That if I don't do something, then God will be upset with me. And then we have another group of people that take it to the other extreme, since even if I don't do anything, God will not be upset with me, then I don't do anything. It only shows the lack of understanding of what eternal life is really all about. Church, let me remind you once again. The Bible, the Word of God is not a book to teach you how to pursue God. The Bible is an entire body of work of scriptures of how God has not stopped pursuing us. It is not about your works. Are you guys with me? It is not about what you can do. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith so it's not a human endeavor that you can have that relationship with God. It is God pursuing us. 
turn to neighbor and say, it is God that is pursuing you. Are you with me this morning? In John chapter 17, and let's discover together this morning what is that fullness of life that God is trying to tell us. After Jesus said this, he was praying. He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And as Jesus was praying to God, before he wraps up his time here on earth, he said, this to God, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Christians, I'm speaking to you today. That fullness of life, found in eternal life, is a life where we get to know the only one true God and Jesus Christ whom He sent. That eternal life is not just length. The quality of life that you and I can have is a quality of life where you and I get to know God. And this knowing God is not hate knowledge knowing God. If it's only hate knowledge knowing God, that is why a lot of people say things like, oh, if I believe in Jesus Christ, I have eternal life and I'll enter heaven, that's great. So after I give my heart to Jesus, I already have eternal life because there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God. I will now go out and live my life anyhow I want. I can sin. I can last moment before the time's up. I quickly repent and come back to God. After all, I get the best of both worlds. I get to live a life I want and I still go to heaven because I have the insurance that I will still go to heaven. But the question is this. Is that a better life or not? Is that the life that you really think is a good life for you? This knowing is not just hate knowledge. This eternal life is both experiential and intimate. In essence, this eternal life is a quality of life. We are made to experience God and in the absence of that experience, the human spirit is forever unsatisfied. We are designed by God to encounter Him. And that is why when people come to church, even when they don't seem to understand whatever that is happening, they can be touched by the presence of God. They can be touched by the Spirit of God because we are designed to long for God. And I think this is where a lot of Christians get stuck. If we think that eternal life, Jesus Christ, is a pass card to heaven, it is my smart tech, it is my touch and go to heaven, as long as I keep that card, I will make it at the end of the day. You will forfeit yourself the opportunity to live a full life where you and I get to experience God right here, right now. Augustine said this, you have made us for yourself 
and our hearts are restless till it rests in you. God made us the greatest pleasure for all humanity is that privilege, the opportunity to experience God. That you get to have a relationship with not just any God, but the God of the universe, the God who created the heavens and the earth. Eternal life is not just length. It is more than that. It is how you get to experience God as our Father, as someone who cares for the deepest need of our soul. How many of you, you have enjoyed our Soul Keeping series? Man, I heard so many good reports when uh, Budji was preaching on, uh, on, on Sabbath and uh, the book of Job Bible study. It is, I think, as a church, we've come to a place of maturity that we want to learn to build deeper in our lives, in our walk with God. That each time we talk about growth now, it is always about growing deeper. Everybody say we may say, growing deeper. And so, this is the fullness of life that we get to experience God in our entire well-being and even our future. We get to experience God's active participation in all that we think, in all that we say, and in all that we do. That there is a constant relationship. There's a constant awareness of God's presence in our lives. Every day, every moment of our lives, that we get the privilege to talk to God. We get the privilege to pray. You know, can you imagine this life without God and we cannot pray? There's no place for us to turn to when we don't seem to have answers to some of the questions in life. Eternal life is not just about knowing God and experiencing God. Eternal life, it's also about knowing Jesus Christ and to experience Jesus Christ. And this part is tough. How do we get to experience Jesus? You know, very often, Jesus is just the name that we pray. Thank you, God, for lunch. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is the name that we sing because praise and worship always have the word Jesus. Jesus has become this brand, this imagery where we only use the name Jesus during altar call. I want you to know none of this is wrong because we do need to pray in Jesus' name. And everybody say, yeah. We do need to worship Jesus. We do need to talk about Christ when we invite people to have a relationship with God. But the question is, how are we living a life with Jesus on a daily basis? I want to read to you from the screen because I want to read from the Message Bible. And I think this day is great because you have uh, your phone with you and we have all kinds of Bible version uh, in our phone. But for the benefit of everybody, we read from the screen. The word, uh, John chapter 1, verse 1 to 14, okay? I'm reading from the Message Bible. The word was first, the word present to God. God present to the word. The word was God 
in readiness for God from day one. Everything was created through Him. Nothing, not one thing, came into being without Him. What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness. The darkness couldn't put it out. There once was a man, his name John, sent by God to point out the way to the life light. He came to show everyone where to look, who to believe in. John was not himself the light. He was there to show the way to the light. The life light was the real thing. Every person entering life, he brings into light. He was in the world. The world was there through him. And yet the world didn't even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him, who believed he was who he claimed and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves, their child of God's selves. <coughs> These are the God-begotten, <coughs> not blood-begotten, not flesh-begotten, not sex-begotten. The Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside out, true <coughs> from start to finish. John came <coughs> to point to the life light. But I want to highlight on verse 14 because love gives and a focus for this month is the new neighbor. The word became flesh and blood. The word became came from the Greek word genomai. Alright? Everybody say genomai. You see, all of us are aspiring to preach like Pastor Andrew. You know, the word genomai is the Greek word which means <coughs> something changes property and enters into a new condition. The word became flesh. is God becoming man. And this change, it's a one-way change. That means this change is not water turning into ice, that the ice can turn back into water again. Are you with me? This is a one-directional change. The Word became flesh. This Word was divine with God in verse 41, and now this Word is now made flesh to be one with humanity, to be recognized with humanity. And the Word became is the act of self-humbling that is irreversible. That means for Jesus to become man, Jesus cannot go back to his original state ever again. He will forever be forever God, forever man, God with us, Emmanuel. God became a part of humanity, lived among humanity in the form of Jesus Christ. Are you all with me? And, and <coughs> pardon me. Yesterday, I have to preach fighting the rain. The louder I preach, the louder the rain. So, okay, let's come back. <coughs> so for the word to become flesh, the understanding of the word genomai is probably theologians acknowledge. It's the grandest miracle that ever happened in the Scripture. One word, the word became flesh, gives us four reasons why this grand miracle is so important to us. Number one, it gives us salvation. 
in a God-man relationship, God designed us to experience Him, to have fellowship with Him. But man did wrong. Man sinned against God. So when in a relationship, if you have done wrong, who should say sorry first? It's not a trick question, okay? It's not a theological exposition. Husband and wife. When the husband wronged the wife, usually, la, usually, okay? Uh, the wife cannot wrong one. But anyway, uh, Mother's Day is coming, you know, so I better prep myself well. I don't want to get into trouble. Uh, the person that does wrong has to say sorry. In a God-man relationship, it is the man that is wrong. And man has to say sorry. But man does not have the capacity to say sorry to God. So God has to transform himself to be man so that he can stand on behalf of man and say sorry to God for all humanity. One word, became, is so significant because that's what Jesus did for us. Number two, the word became the grandest miracle. Give us affirmation that you and I deserves it, that you and I are valuable enough for God to become man, to be on our side, to so that we can be restored in our relationship with God. You are of value because if you are not, it will not be meaningful for Jesus to become man, to die on the cross on our behalf. Number three, it's identification. When the Word became man, He identified Himself with us, that Jesus is forever man, although at the same time, He is forever God. To understand Trinity, ladies and gentlemen, sign up to Ruma, okay? I'm not going to go any further than that. But number four, this grand miracle also gives us the space for adoration. Where do you hear that when man done wrong, God became man to protect us to defend us, to bring us back to God. When men done wrong against gods, the gods will punish humanity. That beautiful picture, it just staggers our mind and <clears throat> assault the imagination that we have that only helps us to bow down on our knees, to adore God, to adore Jesus of how much He has done for us. The Word became flesh and blood. It is an irreversible transformation to show you that when you go to heaven, the scars will still be in His hands. The whipping will still be in His body. This is the God who identifies Himself with us. And then it says, this word that became flesh and blood moved into the neighborhood. Church, the new series, the new neighbor. Yes, the new neighbor is Jesus Christ. The new neighbor that moved into our neighborhood is Jesus Christ. That he has to transform himself in order to live among us. I want to ask us this morning how many of you ever experienced a new neighbor in your taman? How many of you? One, two, three. Raise your hand. Growing up, you have? Or, or a new neighbor in your block, in your condo, all right? And, uh, and maybe 
your tamman quite big, you don't realize. How many of you, you have experienced a new student that uh, joined your class halfway through the year? You know, you, you remember those times when, when you feel like you are senior, you feel like you've been around for a long time, and then this new kid on the block just came to your class halfway through, and you, you want to be the host, you want to be the, the person, especially if she's pretty. Uh, I remember when I was growing up in high school, um, one year, the convent didn't have science stream, so they transferred all of them to our school, and some of them came to our class. I tell you, it was a very busy season. Oh, we were like, hey, hi, you know that canteen is there, wow, I can buy my Coca-Cola oh, like wow, everyone. You know, you, you, you remember the excitement. You want to show her or him everywhere. You want to get to know them. Do you remember the excitement when that new neighbor came into the neighborhood? You really want to discover whether they have the same genres of music that they like, like you. You know, recently, a lot of people have been going to Bangkok to listen to John Mayer. How many John Mayer f- fan here? Raise your hand. All right, my wife and I, we don't know who he is. <laughs> oh my God, we don't know. Kason was trying to tell my wife, okay, this is John Mayer. And then after two minutes, my wife said, who is this again? <laughs> John Mayer. And, and whether the new neighbor like the same PS4 games as you, do they have PlayStation? You know, uh, uh, I... I Man, trying to prepare this sermon, I was reminded of so many things. So there was one time in my flat when I was in Sandakan many years ago, a new neighbor moved in. The neighbor has two daughters. Every day, we try to find a way to get to know them by walking past their house. Just trying to get attention. It's not like we like her because she was older, but because she was a new neighbor. And, and you want to know whether this new neighbor, the mom, can cook amazing stuff or not. You want to know whether this new neighbor, the mom, can bake or not, like chocolate chip cookies. What if this morning I share with you that this new neighbor is totally amazing? Someone that opened up his home and opened up his life. This new neighbor always have Hagen dust in the freezer. Ooh, how many vanilla flavor fans? One, two, three, raise your hand. I'm so glad our church is not very lukewarm. So, vanilla. What taste is vanilla? Ooh. How many of you here, chocolate fan, chocolate ice cream? So many hands shows you these are the commoners. <laughs> How many here? Strawberry flavor fan. These are the real people who knows how to eat ice cream. <laughs> Strawberry, man. How about if this new neighbor always have Maggie Me and Egg in the cupboards? They have the biggest flat screen in the AVL room and the comfiest sofa in the whole wide world. This is that amazing neighbor that everybody wants to get to know, that everybody wants to hang out in his apartment. 
Let me ask you this. What if this amazing neighbour not only cooks up a storm, but is the food himself called the bread of life? John chapter 6, verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. John chapter 6, verse 27, the Bible says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him, God the Father has placed His seal of approval. And so Jesus said, don't work for food that will perish, but food that endures to eternal life, which is Jesus Christ Himself, the bread of life. By equating Himself with bread. This is a powerful story that Jesus wants to tell everybody. Bread is such an important picture in the, in the history of the children of Israel. When they were in the wilderness and had no food, God rained bread from heaven. And Jesus is trying to use the picture of manna from heaven and say, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that once you've eaten, you'll forever never go hungry again. And Jesus is using the picture of the bread. Because this morning, when we were worshipping God, when we break bread, Jesus is trying to tell us the body that is broken for you give you eternal life. And by equating himself with bread, Jesus is saying he is essential to life. We need Jesus to survive. He's the staple diet. He's foundational. And it is not just for life, but all eternity. A life lived with God, His Son, and the Holy Spirit. To have Jesus in our lives, to know Him and to experience Him, is that you and I get to experience Christ every day. To experience His presence, to be able to be in an intimate relationship with Him, that you can pour out your heart to Him, talk to Him, to have His power and to have His assurance over us. Jesus lights up our neighborhood, lights up our home. And He's not just the life of the party, He is the party. He's the neighbor that everybody loves. Jesus is the neighbor that everybody loves. Why? He can tell stories. And when he tells stories, it is captivating. So every time when he's telling stories, everybody will go and try to listen to him. He can heal the sick. So can you imagine in your neighborhood, and Jesus is living there? Can you imagine every day, nobody will go to the clinic anymore. Our Dr. Andrew will be out of job. And then they go to the new neighbor, Jesus. Like, hey, Jesus, my friend's not well. Boom, get healed, go home. All right, boom, get healed, go home. He does not only perform magic trick. He can perform miracles. He can replenish the wine barrels that there's always something to drink. This new neighbor is so kind. He hears you when you are down. He lifts you up when you're discouraged. He covers you when you're naked. He restores you when you are drained. And this new neighbor gives you a sense of purpose and a sense of hope and a sense of destiny. Who doesn't want a neighbor like that? 
And this new neighbor exposes us to a totally different dimension of life. A life that is not just physical in this realm, but to be able to experience the spirituality of God, to live in the dimension of God. And this new neighbor, he disrupts your life for the better. This new neighbor, he wants to interrupt into your life. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, can I have the pen to just come as we wrap up for a close? In Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, this is the verse that so often is used during altar call. Jesus said, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. I want you to know, this is not a passage for non-Christian. This is a passage for Christian. This is not a passage to invite Jesus Christ into our lives. Revelation chapter 3, from verse 14 onwards, Jesus was talking about this church in Laodicea. And what was happening to them, they have grown lukewarm. They are neither hot and they are neither cold. The church has come to a place that they've gathered some wealth and they are now rich. And they've invited Jesus into their life once and probably there was the only once. Because it says here, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That means this believer, this Christian, that have once invited Jesus into their lives, and now that they have acquired wealth, they are doing better in life, they have asked Jesus to wait outside the door. And Jesus is kindly saying, here I am. I stand at the door of your house and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. This is a picture. Like I say today, it's not for non-Christian. It is for every one of us Christian here. Maybe we opened our hearts to Jesus before. We were downtrodden. We were unwell. Life was in a mess. We need Jesus. We say, Jesus, come into my home. Move into my neighborhood. I need you. And then after Jesus coming into our lives, things begin to change. It gets better. Your life is more orderly now. Things are in control. You begin to pray and the Lord bless you. The Lord provides for you. Your marriage is restored. Your kids are now growing up, faithful, walking with Jesus. Your business is doing well. And then you begin to accumulate more stuff. You're doing better. It's God's blessing for us. But in our doing better, we began to acquire more stuff. TV is getting bigger. 
sofa is getting bigger. Kitchen table, dining table is getting bigger. And we begin to have a lot more things in the house. We have nice sculpture, new painting, new sound system. Oh, we need more space. We need a AV room. Oh, we need more space. My kitchen is too small now. I got to expand my kitchen. Oh, my bedroom. I, I, I need a bit more comfort now. I got to buy a better bed, a bigger bed. And as I begin to add all these things to my life, to my house, called life, I realized that, hey, Jesus, it's getting a little uncomfortable. You are there all the time. You are there in the kitchen. You are there in the living room. And then you even come into my bedroom. You know what? How about keep some distance? At least that way, we can maintain this relationship. Why don't you just wait here? Don't, don't, don't come into my life if I don't need you, okay? If my finances are doing well, it's great. I will give my offering. I will give you something. Don't do anything more, all right? Don't talk to me. Don't challenge me. Don't speak to me. And, and stay there. At best, stay around kitchen area. Probably best bless the, the bread so that there's always food in the house. But don't come into my bedroom. Don't come into the most intimate, most private part of my life. The darkest secrets that I keep. Don't touch that part of my life. And, and we begin to accumulate more and more and more. Then after a while, Jesus is outside the house. Jesus, it's outside. And go home, read Revelation 3. But even after all that we have done to push Him out, so we don't pray if we have no need. We don't seek God if everything is fine. We don't come to church if there's not necessity. I will come. I can just watch live service. Just, just be close, but not that close. Be near, but not that near. So Jesus has come to a point that He is now outside our house. But being the grace of God that He is, He said, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Even after years of putting Jesus outside the door, he's still there. He's still there standing, knocking. Jesus does not only just want to move into our neighborhood, he wants to move in with us. The Bible says our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants us to experience Him. Jesus wants our lives to be richer when we have Christ at the center of our world. That we do not just call on to Jesus when we are in trouble. That we welcome Him and eat dinner with us. Jesus, tell us stories. Have dinner with us tonight. Jesus, come sit with us. Let's watch TV together. Jesus, come to my bedroom. This is where I stay. This is where I sleep. This is where I rest. Jesus, come. That we do not become Christians 
that only call on God when we are in trouble. That we only need God and say, Jesus, I'm in trouble. We open the door and say, come, 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 bless, bless me. Touch my, my kitchen table. Touch my savings. Touch my house. Touch my wife. Touch my children. Okay, all sorted out. All done. Thank you, Jesus. You can go outside now and we close the door. I will give the offering next week. Don't you worry. I'll build the church. I will send mission team. But you, you go outside. No wonder the Bible says, Jesus, God desires our heart and not our giving. The Jesus that consumerism has turned Him, has turned Him into our maid. We have made Jesus our helper. We have made Jesus that, okay, come in now. You can come in now. Okay, bless the dinner. Go outside. Is that how we want to live, church? Is that where we are placing Jesus Christ in our world right now? I want to ask every one of us, including myself, where is Jesus when it comes to my neighborhood? Where is Jesus when it comes to my house? I want us to close our eyes. Where is Jesus? Is Jesus at the balcony? Is Jesus at the corner somewhere? Is Jesus in the maid room? Or at the storeroom? He is not the center of all our activity. Jesus, stay there. Don't come out until I call upon you. Where is Jesus in our lives right now? like us to just ponder for a moment in prayer